0: Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer and I'm your host of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Today, I get to basically have a coffee date virtually with five amazing ambassadors. These are college women who have helped me share stuff online and just believe in my message and believe in what I'm doing over here. I'm so honored and thankful that I have had the opportunity to work with them all of last semester and some of them longer than that. And they come prepared today with questions that are just common for life as a college student at 20 something, wherever they are in life. And I think that you guys are going to relate and really enjoy all of the stuff that we unpack here today. So, here we go. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Before you say your name, girls, the first time at least, just say your name, maybe in the school you go to. How about that? That way we can put kind of a voice with um, a name. Summer, you go first.
1: Um, I'm Summer. I go to the University of Tennessee, and I am a Pi Phi. I'm Erica. I'm an Alpha Delta Pi at the University of Nebraska.
0: Hi,
2: my name is Brooke. I go to UNC Charlotte, and I am in the Zeta Gamma chapter of Alpha Delta Pi.
3: Hey, everyone. I'm Michaela, and I'm an Alpha Z Delta at Jacksonville State University. And Caroline.
4: Caroline, I'm an alumni of the Tall Kappa Chapter of Chi Omega at the University of Montevallo in Alabama.
0: Let's get this party started. Do you want to go first with your question, Brooke? Yes, I would love to go first with my question. So my name is
2: Brooke and I go to U.S.C. Charlotte and my question is, what are your opinions on reading the Bible for your significant other?
0: Oh my goodness. Okay, yes, this is a little tricky because it depends on the couple, perhaps where you are geographically and stuff like that. My first instinct would be to say that both of you kind of grow on your own separately, especially as that relationship is kind of getting to know each other. And so perhaps you are in a a group with some other women or, you know, growing on your own or or whatever that may be. And he is too. And you can talk about, oh, did you read that? Whatever in James or whatever, or maybe you're going through a book of the Bible together and you talk about that but maybe not like in the same room with the door shut with articles of clothing missing. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? (laughs) There's also um, different levels of intimacy and there's a lot to be unpacked here, but you know, mental, emotional, physical, all the things. And so those are, those are different layers. And so obviously, you know, there's a whole, there's a lot of people think about intimacy when we think about physical intimacy, But there's so much more to that. And spiritual intimacy is a good thing. And it's something to grow in. But, you know, diving in right away, we're going to have all these deep, huge theological conversations. I mean, that's okay. But I just want you to be aware that is a level of intimacy. And as those levels of intimacy grows, then you can also, it's harder to see red flags. And it might be a great relationship. But these are just awesome things to think about. Because when intimacy grows, also it's harder to see you know, like I said, potential red flags.
2: Yes, you are answering my question. I did some research and basically like what you're saying parallels of what I found is that, I mean, reading the Bible, you develop intimacy with God. So whenever you bring, say, a boyfriend into that, you're developing that intimacy with him as well as God. So that can be a very tricky path to walk, especially before marriage, because you're not married until the ring's on your finger and you're a wife. And you need to constantly be building your character as a wife, not as a girlfriend. So that is what I got from it.
0: Yes, uh, Brooke, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, oftentimes, so oftentimes we put a relationship in the place of God, you know, that boyfriend becomes our idol. Um, And that is so common. And, And I talked about this the other day, look at all the love songs, like, I will do anything for you. You make the sun shine brighter. The worship songs and so many Christian worship songs are also played on pop music stations as what is perceived as love songs. So we're made to worship that is in our DNA. That is the way we're created. We're made to worship. And it is very slippery, especially in our culture when we, we switch who's in that place of worship, God or our boyfriend. So yeah, I think that's a very good point.
4: Okay, I have a question that's kind of, you answered the part of the question that I, like, I had a question on, but I'm Caroline, I graduated from the University of Montevallo in Alabama, and now I go to the University at Buffalo in New York, getting my master's. Um, But my question is, you did the podcast on you graduated now what to do with more college life and independent college life, but with relationships. Having had a relationship through college, and now like I'm an adult, and kind of continuing to grow my own faith as an adult, but also wanting to continue to grow my relationship. And any advice you can give on that?
0: Growing your relationship in, with your boyfriend, right? Yes. Yeah, with my boyfriend. Okay. Relationships are just that, as they are with family, as they are with friendships, and in romantic relationships. So it, this is long distance as well, right? Yeah. We are actually going to do a podcast episode coming out on how to do long distance relationships. Well, with a girl that I know that did long distance for like three years, I think, and they're married now and they're cute and I approve. (laughs) They're a really great couple, but anyways, you know, relationships need to be fed for lack of a better word. They need attention. You know, when we take them for granted is when things, don't go as well. And that's especially true in marriages. A lot of people take each other for granted and stop going on dates and things like that. So with a long distance relationship, with a long-term relationship, it's just continuing to keep that a priority. And I know that you guys continually to do virtual dates. And I think that that is super cute. And, you know, continue to romance each other and making sure you know what each other's love language is. I didn't know that really until later in marriage, but whether it's, um, what is it, gifts, service, words of affirmation, touch. There's another one. Access of service <laughs> does say that anyways. And it's typically not the same thing. So like I love it when my husband cleans up, he loves it when I give him words. So he's going to show me love by cleaning the toilet. I'm going to show him love by saying nice things about him vice versa, but not vice versa, because, you know, I don't care if he says I'm nice. I want him to clean the toilet. <laughs> so it's learning each other's love language. But anyway, to invest in that relationship you know, make it a priority. I'm all in favor of picturing where you want to be in five years. And so if perhaps you see that being a long-term, you know, potentially marriage relationship, what can you do today in your dating days to set yourself up for a healthy marriage? And I am a huge believer that marriages start before you ever even consider being engaged because, you know, what stories are you going to tell? How are you getting to know each other? How are you preparing? both of your hearts for a future marriage? How are you, you know, you definitely came from different homes, different ways of being brought up. Your parents may or may not have stayed together. Do you even know what a healthy marriage looks like? And how can you learn right now? How can you develop healthy habits right now to learn what it looks like to have a healthy marriage? And then, you know, like I said, just intentionally dating each other.
1: Okay, going off of like Caroline's question about marriage, I have a question about yours, because you know that I think that you and Brian are like exactly what I want. Is there a specific quality that you saw in him while you were dating that made you be like, okay, yes, this is somebody I could stay with forever? Or was it like a a certain thing that happened or like a quality that you think that other girls should look for as well?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. For me, what stood out about Brian was his levels of integrity. And It was like a foreign language to me when I met him. So like I said, he was a youth pastor when we first started dating and and it was crazy to me, but I shared about this on TikTok one time and some of the comments were like, oh, well, he should be able to, you know, look at pornographic images and hang out with other women and not have temptation. I'm like, what? (laughs) My family of origin fell apart because of, well, temptation. I mean, my dad ended up cheating. And I want to be clear, I love my dad and I know that he would take it back a hundred times over if he could. Now learning what I know now, when you flirt with temptation, you're going to get burned. I mean, people play with fire and they get burned. And so I would much rather just my husband not play with fire and me do the same. But now as his wife, like I don't worry for one iota of a second if he is out of town on a business trip. I don't ever think that he is out at a bar Hitting on women, you know, if the line is adultery, why even get alone with another woman with alcohol in your system? Like, why even tempt yourself? You know, like, why? And he just stays on the other side of temptation. And, you know, again, people are going to be critical of that, but I can say, as a wife who has not only experienced my own family of origin kind of fall apart because of adultery. Now that I'm married to a man who I just just trust so, so much because of his levels of integrity, I'm just very thankful. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode. I just wanna pop in real quick and let you know I am booking speaking for spring semester. But if you are in a sorority and need a motivational speaker, I am your girl. We are still in this weird, like hybrid, you're in school, you're virtual, lots of weird things happening, in all the different schools. But I believe now more than ever, we need a reminder of why sororities exist, the power of sisterhood, and how you really can make a difference even in these weird incredible. Crazy circumstances. I had the opportunity to speak to 21 different colleges last semester, and I would love to bring this message to your college as well. I have also been asked, do I speak to other women's organizations or clubs or whatever the case might be? Um, of course, if you are a female in need of encouragement, I would love to help you out. I believe my message is applicable to all young women, and so all you need to do is check out my website, Life. there's a short little form to get you the information and I cannot wait to chat with you. Um, And then I guess other stuff is just his steadfastness, if that's the right word, that, you know, I didn't know this, of course, until I guess there were signs, but I know that after we got married, like we've had job transitions and stuff, and he has always like the very next day gone to provide for our family and done whatever, you know, done what it takes. And, you know, he gets up at 5 a.m. every day to go to the gym and then go to work Because he doesn't want to go to the gym enough in the afternoon to miss dinner with our family, like in just little reliable. Like I can count on you, you know, it's not the I'm going to throw a parade and have roses fall from the heavens on a Friday night for date night. But I'm going to show up every day and go to work. I'm going to provide for our family. I'm going to do what it takes to be at our family dinners. And I think it's those little continual reliable loyal things that for me matter a lot more than whatever is famous on YouTube, you know, those famous engagement
1: things that get all this stuff. Yeah, that helps. Plus he cleans the toilet. That's a winner. (laughs) That's a winner.
0: (laughs) Yes. And he got a grill for father's day and we we never really grilled much before that, but now he started grilling and I'm like, this means I don't have to cook. I'm here for anything you want to grill. Yes. Fried squirrel. I'm here for it. I don't care. As long as you, as long as you cook it, we have never had fried squirrel. I'm kidding, please. But (laughs) If he can cook and I don't have to, I'm here for it. But I like questions about like me and Brian. I I guess I don't talk about it as much. I'm I'm an open book.
4: I have a question about you and Brian. I think we've talked before and you've talked on this topic with like finances and trusting and like your relationships with your significant other, future husband and how finances work into that. Best piece of advice you could give to someone who is like taking that next step in relationships when it comes to finances?
0: We have a shared bank account and that's a controversial topic I know. I have found it to be a helpful thing because it's always, you know, the Bible says the two become one. And I I think that our money is a huge indicator of that, that what I make goes into one pot, what he makes go into one pot. And, you know, I have my separate little business account and whatever, but we, we put it all in together. And it's never been like you buy groceries and I'll pay the cable bill. Like we've never it's just our money and it's our family and we're putting it all together to the same purpose. I'm not saying that we've never fought about money, but obviously that's the biggest thing that people fight about in marriage. And I think that we have probably fought about it less because we've kind of been on the same team. We've been on the same like long-term plan, so to speak. When we first got married, we were determined to be debt-free. When we first got married, we lived in this teeny tiny little baby duplex. It was so small, like one vacuum cord would get the whole house. (laughs) But during that time we paid off $20,000 worth of debt and saved up enough money to put a down payment on our first home that we bought together. And because of all of that, that really like 3-year period from saving up and then buying our first home, I am 100% sure that's the only reason I was able to stay at home when our first daughter was born. Um I stayed at home for 3 years exclusively like doing all the new mom stuff. Most people we knew got married and were buying giant ho- houses right out of it, back from their honeymoon. And that's fine and all, but then they have these like $3,000 a month mortgages and how in the world could they, that's so expensive, but because we put such a huge down payment on our house, we were able to have lower house payments. So there's so much to unpack there. We're big believers in Dave Ramsey, but having being on the same team, being passionate about being debt-free. And then when it comes to big purchases, have a conversation about it, you know, I don't ever ask him if I want to spend $20 on whatever, but when it comes to big deals, you know, if he wanted to buy a boat, it would be a conversation. (laughs) If I wanted to, I don't know, I like to spend money on plants. I'm wild like that. You guys crazy. They're not really that expensive, but I'm just trying to think of something that I spent a lot of money on. Oh, and hair care. I got to buy that expensive expensive product. Summer was helping me with some, get some product the other day. Anyways, you know, having a conversation, being on the same plan, and I'm a big believer in being debt-free because I know a lot of people my age, they're still fighting student loans. They're still paying $500 for their car payment. I think that's insane. And it's just, there's enough stress in life. There's enough stress in marriage and raising children, being in debt and working your eyeballs off until, so you can have minimum payments. Like that's just insane. Like get debt-free because it is so freeing.
4: I'm like the biggest spender in the world. I'm terrible with money. I spend so much money I've taken out. Like I am going to be paying off student loans for a long time. If I don't get them paid off, like quickly, hopefully one day when I'm a doctor, <laughs> it'll
0: be like, you spend a lot of money on just like little purchases too. Random,
4: yeah. Like just like random stuff. If I go to target, I'm one of the ones, like I go into target for one thing and I spend way too much money. Like tell it's yourself an-
0: You can only go to target like Twice a month, so I do that. But then, most twice a month,
4: I spend too much money. So that's like the biggest thing. Like
0: this is a Dave Ramsey thing, but have an envelope system. But you don't even have to have an actual envelope. Tell yourself what is a reasonable, Caroline. You can spend, I don't know, fifty dollars a month on lattes or whatever it is your weaknesses, and that is your limit. And you had decided that as a fair amount. And when it is done, it is done.
4: Okay, that's a really good piece of advice that I need to start following.
0: And if you don't, you give yourself a punishment too. Like, and if you don't, then you have to scrub all of the toilets. <laughs>
4: <laughs> the dishes are my weakness. Like if I can avoid doing the dishes, I will.
0: Or yeah, or something else. Like you have to put $50 in your savings account, even more pain, you know, $100, yeah. something like that.
3: All okay, right, I have a question. Okay. So away from like the whole relationship thing, because I don't have a boyfriend, nor do I want a boyfriend right now. Nursing school is enough for me. But how do you manage like growing your faith? Because I feel like when I want to go read my Bible, I can't because I'm reading my foundations of nursing textbook and I can't, I don't have time to go back and forth, but I want to keep growing my faith, but I feel like I don't have time because of school.
0: That's real. Nursing school is, is it no joke? I'm going to say the unpopular opinion in that we all have time for what we want to make time for, but I understand so I would say for me, my biggest thing that has helped me grow my faith ever is community. And I realize we're in the middle of this COVID and there's probably not a lot of communities to be had, but having accountability, not necessarily even accountability, just friendship. People that you know are, they're reading this chapter 2 they're reading this book too, they're praying with each other. I'm sure that is to be found online. I'm sure that's to be found with your within your friend group. Hey guys, I want to, you know, summer started this. I want to read a chapter of Luke throughout the month of December. Do you want to join me? Like that is just a really powerful thing. And, you know, don't also tell yourself you have to spend, you know, an hour or even 30 minutes. I have this, uh, where is it? This Bob Goff devotion right here. And it's like a 10 minute devotion. and It's like really, really awesome nursing students. I'm just assuming like it has to be this or nothing. Like it doesn't have to, you don't have to write a dissertation and rewrite the book of King James, like (laughs) just give yourself some grace and what what you listen to, you know, maybe you listen to podcasts or other things that are life-giving and based in truth.
1: So. Okay. Going off of that, Michaela, something that I found that really helps is I don't know about you guys, but I wake up and I sit on TikTok for like 20 minutes before I actually get out of bed. And I got the Stephanie Mae Wilson, the Lipstick Gospel Devotional. It's like three pages at most. I put it right on my nightstand. And the second I wake up, I don't get to go on TikTok until I finish that. And it takes maybe 10 minutes. So I think that just getting it done in the morning and really just like taking that time before you pick up your phone really helps because it keeps you accountable.
4: Off of that too. So I started doing, because Michaela, you and I are studying very similar things. And while I am not yet in nursing school, med school is haunting me. Um, One of the things I started doing with getting my master's was my Bible sits on my night table thingy by my bed. I started just, I literally read one chapter a day and it's taking me forever. Like it's going to be a long time reading a chapter a day. And then I do a gratitude journal and Katie is actually who started me with me starting my day with writing down three things I'm grateful for and then I write a little blurb about whatever I just read in my bible and it has helped so much
3: I'm gonna have to start that because y'all I swear I don't know how y'all get up and watch tiktok like when you said that summer I was like wait y'all like do stuff when you get up because I'm like the type of person I'm gonna sleep till the last second and then get up and just start getting ready and then leave I'll share what I do has
2: helped me. Those are two awesome ideas. But um, I have the Bible app on my phone. And honestly, I don't think it gets enough appreciation. But every single morning when I eat breakfast, I read a devotional on the Bible app. And just kind of like Summer said, it makes me feel like, like I did something. And it honestly just totally shifts the way that I think about my day. Whatever your app is, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, put it in the same folder as that app. And the Bible app's sitting right there. Like, have you read your Bible yet today? So hopefully that helps somebody out there.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Also, I have one more thing that I've been doing too. I've been doing these like little lists. So I found it on TikTok and it's like five ways that like he should be treating you if it's a good like Christian relationship. And you can literally like find verses and it just takes like 10 minutes and it's almost like a little checklist. So those days when you're like, I don't really have time for this, you can go back at your checklist and read those verses and kind of be like, Okay, cool. And I've I've made them all pretty and I think they're really fun to do too. And then you feel productive because you're like writing it out and it's like like Caroline said, like the writing aspect of it. Wait, so this is a to-do list? I'll just show you. It's kind of like like it's like 10 ways to love and I'll write like 10 verses about it.
0: Yeah, I just do my, I do this Bob Goff devotion and I have five things you're grateful for. And it has to happen within the past 24 hours, which I think is cool because we can all be like, I'm thankful for health and happiness. But like, I'm thankful that the wind is blowing and I can hear my wind chimes right now. Like very specific, like right now within the past 24 hours, I'm very thankful that yesterday Ava came home with a 97 on our reading homework, you know, like little things like that. And it, it that's kind of a game changer right there.
4: Katie, the best piece of advice you ever gave me was writing out things I'm grateful for, but it having to be within the last 24 hours. I just feel like it's changed how I look at my day. Like, I get to live out this day instead of like, oh, I have all of these things I have to get done today.
0: So good. Well, I'm glad it helped you, friend. Okay, you're quiet over there, Erica. What's happening?
5: Oh, I'm just like sitting here, just like taking it all in. Like, there's so many good things y'all have been right? saying. Oh, I'm from the University of Nebraska, but I was thinking about um, in high school, one thing that I did back then that I still do um, that was really powerful for me was just making time to like listen to worship music, but like building it into my schedule, listening to that instead of like country music or pop music or whatever on my way um, to work or to school when I was driving. So just trying to find like the little things that I could do to like make a small change was like super helpful.
0: You did a COVID journal too, which I thought was really cool. Of course, none of us expected it would last this long, but I thought that was a great idea. Just kind of journaling what you're walking through during when the start of quarantine and everything. Yes. yes. Are you still doing that?
5: Um, No, I quit doing it once we started like opening back up and um, everything, but I should definitely go back and like look at um, everything that I wrote down and.
0: Yeah. To look back in 2040 and say, oh, remember when?
5: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have a sorority-related
2: question.
5: Bring
0: it.
2: So, What advice do you have to sisters that just got leadership positions within their sorority? This is their first time taking up a leadership position, and they're scared.
0: Get my PDF at katiebolmer.life, how to be a sorority leader. <laughs> but yes, I mean, that's something kind of frustrating. I felt like when I I was VP of finance in my college days, And I I felt like it was, here's the notebook. Good luck. Don't call me unless something's on fire. And every sorority girl I've talked to now, that's still kind of how it works. And it frustrates me because I feel like so much time is lost in figuring out how to do this, how to do it well. Wait, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? And I think my biggest thing to encourage girls with a new leadership position is to be empowered and realize that all of your sisters voted for you as the best likely candidate to hold that position. Don't be shy about it. Don't be like, Oh, I don't know. And you know, step into that leadership role with confidence and clarity, you know, not of course to be bossy, but being a leader is a responsibility and a privilege and you get to serve and lead your sisters and understanding that realizing Again, that privilege and that responsibility and just stepping into it, stepping into it boldly and confidently and be like, all right, say I'm in charge now of socials. And this worked well in the past. This didn't. This is what's important to our members. Whatever it is, you're in that role. I'm not asking you to go and change everything. Listen to your sisters, of course, but just walk in with confidence that you are the girl for this job and do it well and
3: be there not to be like, hey, look at me, but be there to serve your sisters. And I think, Katie, you told me this whenever I got my positions is to take it all in one step at a time, too, because when I got offered my position one year, I called Katie because I was like, hey, "Who else am I going to call? So because it wasn't what I wanted. And I was so upset. And I was like, I can't talk to an alpha Z about this. So I called my AD pi and Katie. She told me, take it all in, take it one step at a time, because even if you don't see yourself in this position now, a year from now, you're going to appreciate it and have so much more opportunities than you did now and who like when she told me that i was like katie like come on that's not what i wanted to hear but now i'm serving as panhellenic vice president of recruitment and i would have not seen that my freshman year self so just to trust the process and trust the journey too i forget i said that but i like it
0: (laughs) you know it's true and you might get a position that you're not really happy about but you never know what it's preparing you for later
1: I mean, I would just say also, don't be afraid to fail and accept feedback. So something that I did that I found really helpful is I did anonymous like Google Forms and people could be like, hey, this is something I wanna see or we're doing too much of this, could you change it up? And it was really good to know that my sister supported me and see like, hey, you're doing this good but this is something else we could do and not accept it and not take it as like you're failing but take it as like ways to succeed and start that really early on. So you can be really effective throughout your term.
3: Yes. Summer, I love that idea and I'm putting it in my notes to send to all the sororities to say what they hated or loved about recruitment.
0: Yes, that's so just ask them. They're going to tell you, especially if you put it anonymous. That's amazing.
4: I have like a spinoff. So as someone who was like a natural born leader, I was never elected into a leadership position in my sorority. I was also a division two college athlete and ran our church group for church and ran the exercise science club. So it was one of those things where every year when I didn't get elected to something or chosen for a position, I always felt discouraged. One thing that I've learned now looking back on it, that I wish I would have realized then is that your sisters are looking out for you in the best way. So my sisters understood that that would have been too much. And I wouldn't have been able to put the time that the chapter deserved. Now, looking back as an alumni, I'm like, oh, well, duh, I would have, this would have been horrible. Like, just the chapter, it wouldn't have been best for the chapter. And I think I wish someone would have told me that sooner.
0: That's good. Seeing sisters who can see in you what you can't see in yourself.
2: I need that on like a billboard. Sisters see in you what you can't see in yourself. Oh, my God. That literally makes
1: me want to cry. Oh that was so good. I have a question kind of, I guess, like going back to like when we were talking about the Bible as like someone who just like started this year and literally had nothing, no idea like what to do for that girl. Where should she start? Like, is there a certain part that she should start in? Cause for me, I was like, it's a book. And I opened the first page and I sat there like, what? So is there like a certain part that you would suggest starting at?
0: Yes. I love that you asked that summer. And I love also that you have as a fairly new believer just dove in into, okay, God, like, what do you want to have for me? What do you want to teach me? And I love that about you so much. But my answer to that question is always to start in Matthew, which is the beginning of the new Testament. I did not understand this when I was a new believer either. I thought like, oh yeah, you open it in Genesis and Genesis, as most people know, is like the beginning of the world and all that kind of stuff. But then you're going to get into these laws and all of these people dying and then 15, names. And it's interesting why they have all these people's names, because the people they are writing to knew them. Oh, wait, this is Stephen's daughter. Oh, wait, this is Ham's son. You know, like that made sense to them, but we're so far removed. We're like, I I, I don't care that he was so-and-so's son or whatever. So anyway, just an aside about that, but Matthew is the beginning of the gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are basically four guys take on what happened. When Jesus walked this earth, there were guys who hung out with him Um, and Luke was a doctor who was like this really just kind of smart studious guy who interviewed and was an eyewitness, interviewed all the eyewitnesses of Jesus's life. So what I think is very interesting is I always say it takes more faith to not be a believer than to be a believer because all of these guys are telling the same story from their perspective. So if you and I went to a baseball game don't exist right now but you know what i mean we went to a baseball game we saw the same game we would have told you the same score all the main highlights but we would have remembered different parts of the story i would have had a different seat you would have remembered the the out or the inning or the home run that i didn't remember or whatever but these four guys are telling the same story and it's so incredible how much it lines up And like I said, all those little differences, though, because they're different guys with different perspectives, which just adds to the validity, because if they were trying to fudge the whole thing, it'd be like, wait, what are you going to say about when Jesus turned water into wine? Okay, yeah, I'll say that too. But they didn't. They said their own perspective and their own way of seeing what happened. And the different miracles are are recorded in different chapters because they were there or sometimes they weren't. But anyway, I think it's fascinating starting there and seeing the life of Jesus, who he was, his character. Being a Christian literally translates to little Christ and understanding who Jesus was and why it matters and what he did when he walked this earth like is a game changer. So start start there. And then the rest of the New Testament is all about Jesus. And after he lived in AD and how the calendar changed and how everything has changed once he came and he changed everything, <laughs> Is that where you started? Or did you start in Genesis
1: and get totally confused? I started in Genesis and I started seeing all the names and I was like, okay, hold on. Cause I'm an English literature major. So I started making like character tree charts and I was like, okay, this has to mean something or it wouldn't be in here. And then I asked you that question and I was like, cool. So now I'm like almost done with like the new Testament. Now I'm like, okay restart. So now it makes sense. So to the girl who is gonna start, I hope that she does not go through the character tree chart that I tried to make.
0: But it's I'm very impressive with this character tree chart you speak of. <laughs> and what I didn't understand is essentially the whole book is about Jesus. The the old testament all points to a messiah and I didn't know this until I was older so perhaps someone listening didn't either but Jewish people Jesus was Jewish. Jewish people believe in the same God Christians believe in and they believe there will be a Messiah because all of the Old Testament, which is what Jewish people believe, talks about a Messiah. And Christians believe that Messiah was Jesus Christ, who came at the beginning of, well, you know, the calendar, but the New Testament is a story of his life. And then everything after that point was all about Jesus. But really the Old Testament points to a Messiah. The New Testament is all about the Messiah, about Jesus. And so we put together and we call it the Bible. But just like life, it's all about Jesus, (laughs) just like everything.
2: Well, I actually do have another question, but yeah. I feel like it's kind of a doozy after summer's beautiful um, turn. <laughs> understanding of the Bible. Like that was actually really beautiful. That, you know, part. you, you didn't like, there's so many new questions. I'm sure that like, just don't know where to start. Like I'm like Caroline, I I knew kind of what I was doing. So it's absolutely beautiful that you just like branched out like that. Anyway, my question. So like a lot of young adults, I grew up in a split household. My parents were divorced. I never saw conflict handled well between a man and a woman. So how do you or even other couples handle conflict? Well, like, what is that like?
0: You get duct tape and you put it over the guy's mouth and then JK. <laughs> okay. So funny story. I'm actually working on a podcast episode and I'll do a social media post too. It was like things I wish I knew my first year of marriage and I asked a few friends for feedback, just, you know, their, their take on that as well. And one of my friends said, Remember, if you fight, it doesn't mean that things are wrong. And that was something that Brian and I walked through too. We have a family history of nine divorces. Yes. Between our four parents, like his dad was married five times and then his mom three and then my mom like once. And then anyway, a lot of people have been divorced a lot of times. My dad twice. Anyway, so we didn't have a whole lot of great examples either. And when we first got married and we had some conflict, it's like, oh no, like, is this, are we broken? Like, what, what does this mean? So I guess my first thought is if you have conflict, it means you're two human beings who see, who see differently on a subject, like don't freak out. But to handle conflict, I mean, obviously I feel like we have gotten better about this over the years, but the best thing you can do, and this is not always easy in the moment, but to try and seek to understand Instead of being right, because even if you are the rightest of the right, and oh wow, I'm so proud of you, Queen Katie, for being right, what do you win? You don't win anything when you are right, you know? You win when that relationship is healed, and when you win when that relationship is restored, and not beating someone down for being right. So, seeking to understand the other person's perspective we have good family friends whose wife is a counselor and he says this all the time. And it makes me laugh because this is something that she taught him, but she always says, help me to understand. And so that's with anything, you know, like help me to understand why there are $50 worth of lattes on our bill this week. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a joke, but like, help me to understand your perspective. You know, there's so many things that people fight about. And I would say like, if there's a hot topic, so money you know we talked about money earlier if that's something that you're constantly fighting about like okay what are both of our goals in this is our goal to like you know spend all of our money and travel europe and not have any savings Maybe that's a goal. That's, I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. Maybe that's a great goal, but be on the same page. Is our money to save up and, you know, get out of debt and be able to put a down payment on a home? Is it to be able to put a nest egg away? Whatever it is? like being on that same page, and that's just one example. There's so many conflict things that you can talk about. but and also don't be afraid of counseling. If something you know is kind of like we just cannot see eye to eye, Counseling is a great thing and there sometimes needs to be an outside voice to be like, I see your perspective and I see your perspective. Let's let's talk about how we can mediate any any conflict is this person's here and this person's here. And you know, they got to bring that pendulum back to center to help each other see each other's side of the conversation. And the duct tape also helps.
4: So I think that was a really interesting question, Brooke. And Katie, I loved your answer. I mean the duct tape definitely.
0: <laughs> Thank I you.
2: Realize. It's taken me time too to realize, and I'm like, for example, in the relationship I was just in, both of our parents were divorced. So, if there's any conflict, we'd like the the whole world would just go out of control for us. And um, it's taken me a lot of maturity to realize conflict's normal. You're two humans, you're supposed to think differently. And back to the counseling thing, I know of a couple, they go see a, a couple counselor once a month not because they necessarily have any issues, but just because to carve out time and make time for their marriage and just to sit and talk yeah. in a space with someone who can moderate the two. It's healthy. There's nothing wrong with it.
0: I so. agree completely. And we have done several times over our marriage, do marriage retreats. Um, there's different ones. We went to windshape retreat a few times, but just intentional time to work on your most important relationship. I don't know why we take that for granted or why so many people don't do that and getting away and hearing from marriage experts. And like, we got to meet Gary Chapman. He wrote Sacred Marriage. He's like a big deal. And I'm like, what? He was at one of these marriage conferences. And so I just think it's really, really important to always, you know, there's a quote, marriage is about falling in love over and over, always with the same person. And you're going to grow and you're going to change and you're going to, you know, be parents for the first time and move cities and move jobs and always being intentional to learn each other and to understand the stresses that each other are under and and just to seek, to seek to understand each other than to be right. Because being right all the time is usually the guy who's a jerk or the girl, you know? <laughs> being right all the time is not the winner.
1: So I'm the type of person, like I had to learn this, right. especially with conflict. I'm a two, so I cry all the time. My biggest thing is when like we're having a conflict, I cry because I don't know how to process my emotions. And like, it comes off as really manipulative because they'll be like, hey, we're trying to solve this issue and I'm over here bawling my eyes out. So people are usually like, oh, it's okay, everything's fine. So I've learned for me, especially solving conflict, I need a minute. Like I'm like, okay, tell me your side of the story. I'm going to go cry for a second. I'll collect myself and then come back because I think that's been really good solving conflict because when someone's crying, most people's first instinct is to be like, are you okay? Like, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. And it's just my natural instinct to cry, which I feel like is a lot of people's instinct. So that's been really helpful. And i it's hard to admit when you're wrong. So I also agree with that. So that was a really good question, Brooke. I needed that. Erica, you were going to say
5: something? When you were talking about just like healthy relationships and stuff, I know I've had a lot of friends that um, don't necessarily have, you know, a Christian foundation within their relationship. You know, neither of them are Christian. And just walking through them, like walking through their relationship in different seasons um, where they've just had extreme issues and conflict and um, just people on the outside seeing that as not healthy and just like just feeling like not knowing what to do because whenever I you know I'm talking about that kind of stuff I really do have that Christian foundation and I kind of tie it all back to that so I'm just curious like what your advice would be to like the girls that have friends that are not in those healthy relationships and are trying to you know love them but also um, help them in any way that they can.
0: It's tricky because having a shared faith is so important. And I realize that couples can live quote happily ever after without the shared faith, but unconditional love is a beautiful thing that Jesus modeled for us at the cross. And it is two marriages, two selfish human beings who have to learn what it looks like to be loved unconditionally, because you're going to want to kill each other at least once or twice. Like I probably, like, and that unconditional love, like, When that person is being quote unlovable, you don't love them because they deserve it. You love them because that's what Jesus modeled for us at the cross. And that's what I'm trying to get home, you know, get home to my girls that I'm mentoring and stuff like that.
5: Yeah. Like I, I have friends and they just, you know, come to me with relationship struggles or they like think there's a red flag, but they're not sure, but it's just so hard. Really?
0: This is helping a friend in a toxic relationship, no matter the faith. My biggest advice for that, first of all, is don't shy away from the conversation. I think that so many people be like, oh, you know, sorry, he's not treating you well. Like, I'm going to stay away from that conversation because it is complicated, right? And they have starry eyes over the sky. And even if there are red flags, they don't want to see it. True friends kind of dive into that conversation. And with love, like, you know, sister, I love you and I'm I'm saying this because I'm concerned and I'm saying this because I care for you. I would say go into it with questions instead of answers. So ask them, do you see this relationship going into a future? What kind of future do you see this relationship going? What stories are you writing in your relationship that you want to tell? Do you think that he will be a good father one day? What kind of father did you have? Do you think that he's going to be the kind of father that you needed as a little girl, as a little boy? Like long-term thinking, so many young people are like, oh, I'm just having fun. Fun is adorable, but fun leads to feelings, emotions, especially if physical intimacy is involved and you have soul ties. There's so much woven together with your lives. Then you meet his sister and then you meet his friends and then your friends have become woven together. And this whole, we were just having fun. I have friends that have been married 15 years who were just having fun with an irresponsible frat boy. And now, you know, he's not going to church. Their kids aren't being raised to believe what she thinks is important. He can't hold a steady job. I don't know. I mean, like whatever, this whole, just having fun thing is very flawed and help her to think long-term. So again, not coming at her and saying all those things, but just coming at her with questions, helping her to see what do you want? Is, is this, defining what you want. What what matters to you in a relationship? What are some things that you want in a future marriage? And is he answering those things for you? So, and then when you help them to find those answers on their own, it's way more powerful than telling them.
5: Yeah, no, I love that. I definitely did not think about like that perspective at all. Um, Cause yeah, it is, like you said, a very tricky situation and um, you're wanting to, you know, do what's best for them and help them through it. But sometimes you don't have all the tools. And so um, yeah, that's definitely super helpful for sure.
0: Well, we'll wrap it up, but I thank you guys so much for being here. Yay. Well, thank you so much for everyone being here. Um, I will put your Instagram profiles in our show notes so they can follow you and love you and all of your awesomeness, but thank you for asking such great questions and thank you for everyone to listening in on our coffee date. Hey, if you like this episode, would you help a sister out? Take a screenshot right now and share it on your social media. Podcasts are not really SEO friendly, meaning you can't really search them. So they just rely on people sharing them and telling other people what they enjoy. So help a sister out, share this on your social. Plus, I'll give you some Instagram love if you tag me at Katie Bulmer Life and At Truth For Your Twenties Podcast, we will both reshare it and share that love. Also, special thanks to those of you who take four seconds and leave a review on iTunes. That is like a chatty latte to a podcast soul. (laughs) It helps them grow and it really, really helps other people to find them. So thank you to all of you who help
4: this podcast to grow and help your friends find some truth for their 20s.